Well, Subjourney Church, welcome to God's house today on Sunday. I have been here less than 24 hours and I've already experienced three different seasons. I man, that's a, that's a special treat. Did you guys order that just for me? Uh, I live in South Carolina, home of delicious barbecue. I did not say it was better than Missouri barbecue. I got rebuked in the first service for saying that we had good barbecue. Y'all are proud of your dead pig and dead cow. Um, so today is my wedding anniversary. My wife and I today are celebrating. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Special day for us. We're celebrating uh, 22 years, 10 months, and five days today. And that's a true story. We are, we are uh, madly in love. My wife's name is Shari. She's been here with me before. We have a 16-year-old son named Jojo who's an athlete. have a 19-year-old son named Jacob uh, who is preaching. And Christian and Danielle and myself and Shari, uh, I don't see Casey in here, but we have already signed some Old Testament covenants for a prearranged marriage. We thought we would skip all the drama and just go ahead and get Casey and Jacob locked in. It's God's will. He told me. He told me. Um, Well, I hope you're ready for the best three-hour sermon you've ever heard in your life. It's been three years since I've been here. I'm honored to be back, and I want to say this uh, before I open up the Word to preach, that uh, you probably don't know, uh, maybe you do, just how blessed you are by God uh, to have Pastor Christian and Danielle leading this body, this fellowship. There is no one better. There's no better couple. I said this earlier, but Shari and I don't have closer friends in ministry than the two of you. And I don't know what the two of you are doing, but it looks like you're aging backwards. You're, you, you look so good, Christian. I, you must moisturize, man. I don't know what in the world you're doing. You're eating kale. I have no idea what it is, but it's just a blessing to be able to be with you guys. You're some of our favorite people. I'm so blessed to call you friend. And um, wow. All right, let's get ready. Y'all ready to, re- to read the word, hear the word? It's going to be fun today. Now, the early service, listen, they told me they love Jesus more than y'all. So, so you got to bring your A game. I grew up Pentecostal, Southern Baptist, and Presbyterian. So that Pentecostal part of me, I like some feedback. I like people talking. I like people saying things to me like, amen, preach, preacher, let the wild hog eat. You can throw something at me if you want to. I'll throw it right back at you, but we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, so go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 5, and if you don't have a Bible in a moment, the verses are going to be up on the screens. I have, um, I have been through a lot in the last two years, like every other human being on planet Earth, and one of the things that I did uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic is I released a book. Now, I've written 17 books. I actually just turned in my 18th book two days ago to my publisher. One of the things I do in ministry, I'm a pastor. I'm an evangelist. My wife and I run a nonprofit ministry, and I write books. The motivation in going back to 2016 for this book called Reborn was this woman that we're going to look at and meet in Mark chapter 5. And before I preach this to you, let me set it up. The reason why I think this message is so timely for us right now is because I see myself, and if you're paying attention, I think you're going to see parts of yourself in this woman's story in Mark chapter 5. I know for the last two years, I have gotten so tired of hearing people tell me, whether it's on social media or mainstream news or, or just people I interact with, 
These are unprecedented times. I am ready for some precedented times. Is anybody with me? Bring back precedented times. I'm ready for some precedented times. When I think back to, so 2019 was the best year of my life. I'm adopted. I found my biological family in 2019. Um, I got to take a sabbatical for the first time and 30 plus years of ministry in 2019. It was a really great year for me. Our nonprofit ministry hit all the goals and exceeded them in 2019. And going into 2020, I don't know if any of you had plans. I had a lot of them. Our nonprofit was expanding. We were growing. We were reaching more students. We were reaching more adults. We had trips to Italy and Greece and Turkey and Israel planned. We had mission trips to all over the world, Central America and Asia. Our summer camps had grown by 20% in one year. Had all these big ideas and dreams and hopes. And then the world comes to a grinding halt. And I want to tell you, just to be transparent with you, I'm an optimist. I'm an extreme extrovert. The glass is always half full for me. I am a happy person. I wake up at 5 a.m. This energetic isn't my wife lucky to be married to me. I drink multiple cups of coffee because I'm a Christian and... So I stay wound up all the time. 2020 was a sucker punch to me. Not only did our ministry lose 100% of its income for the year of 2020, I'm talking millions of dollars vaporized, gone. All our plans changed. Then on top of that, I get COVID twice. My wife and my children got it twice. I lost three very good friends to COVID. They died. One of them was a missionary to India that I took to India in 1997 for the very first time. An American who married an Indian woman and started a Bible college and a pastor's conference and an orphanage and a school, caught it, died. And then on top of all of that, unrelated to COVID, my father-in-law died and I couldn't even go to his funeral because I was homesick with COVID. Then fast forward uh, to just about Three and a half or four months ago, I started having a pain in my side. I thought I was sore from working out in the gym. Turns out that I had a septic, um, what's that, pancreas? No, not pancreas. Nope, not gallbladder, the other thing. Appendix, thank you. Yeah. (laughs) Hey, I'm not a doctor, I'm a preacher. (laughs) I know it's an organ I can live without. And it was hurting me. So I go to the ER. They make me wait eight hours in the ER. While I'm waiting, my appendix burst. I got sepsis. I almost died. They sent me home with a bottle of pills. They said, take one every four to six hours. It said acetaminophen on the outside of it. Did not realize it was hydrocodone. Oh my gosh. It was the most miserable I have ever been in my entire life. And I kept going back to this woman's story. Kid you not, for Mark chapter five, because I was feeling some things that really, really discouraged me. I was doubting, I was frustrated, I felt isolated. I was wondering what the future was gonna hold. And as I read this scripture to you, cards on the table, as transparent and honest with y'all as I can be, you are not here today by accident. What I want to say to you as clearly as I can, with as much humility, but with as much authority and conviction as I can possibly muster up, 
I don't care who you are. What you need is not a different president, a former president, George W. Bush, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln. That's not what you need. What you need is not more money. What I need is not a more predictable future. What we need is not a stronger economy or for gas prices to come down. We do need all of those things, but our ultimate hope cannot possibly be in something so small that we can understand it or comprehend it with our brain. What you need today, and I say this without flinching, you need to get as close as you can to Jesus of Nazareth. He is your only hope. And I am not going to pull punches. I'm not, gonna, I'm not worried about offending you because my flight leaves at 145 out of Kansas City. <laughs> I'm going to tell you straight up, man to man, man to woman, you need Jesus. He's the only hope. This woman in, Matthew, in Mark chapter 5 is the perfect story to encourage you. So if you're a Christian today, you need to fight to get as close to Jesus as you can and stay there. If you're not a Christian today, I say this with all respect, whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, a, a, a Muslim, it doesn't matter what background you come from, you need a relationship with the God-man, Jesus Christ. Not rules to follow, not rituals to, 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 to keep, not hoops to jump through. You need a real relationship with the Son of the living God. And you might not believe you need it, but you better believe I believe it. Because it's the only thing I've got. I put all my eggs in his basket, all of them. And I have stared death in the face, even recently. And I'm telling you, this story in Mark chapter 5, if you'll listen to it with more than your ears, if you'll listen to it with your heart, you can walk out of this service today knowing that you have a relationship with Jesus that will carry you out of this life into eternity forever. Mark chapter 5, let me, let me just read this to you, beginning in verse 25. The context is pretty simple, and you'll figure it out when I start to read. Now a woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years. Time out, hold up, pause, full stop. 12 years. That's a long time. Raise your hand if you remember first grade. Some of y'all are like, that was during the McKinley administration. I'm not sure I remember that. Okay, now fast forward to your senior year. I was a senior in 1991, y'all. 1991, anybody else here, class of 1991? Come on, that was when Bon Jovi was still playing rock and roll and the Dallas Cowboys were terrible before they were good and then terrible again. Um, man, so imagine first grade to 12th grade, that's 12 years. A woman had been bleeding for 12 years. So that tells you a little bit about her mindset as we are introduced to her. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years had endured much under many doctors. She had spent everything she had and was not helped at all. On the contrary, she became worse. Now we're starting to feel what this woman is feeling. She had spent all of her money. She's broke. Not just broke, but like college broke. Like broke is a joke. You remember being in college, how broke you were? I, every single night, I roamed up and down the halls at Gardner-Webb University just looking for scraps. Didn't care if anybody had touched it, bitten off of it, sneezed on it. If I could eat it, I wanted it because I was poor. This woman was a different level of poverty. Not only was she poor, but, but she, had, 
she had wasted everything she had and now was more frustrated than at the beginning because her money is gone and the doctors couldn't help her. Verse 27, having heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothing. For she said, if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. Instantly, her flow of blood ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Stop right there. The word clothing and the word clothes are mentioned here. Now, I'm a big fan of clothes. I'm glad you wore clothes to church today. If not, we would have a much different worship service, wouldn't we, Pastor Christian? Thank you for wearing clothes. Clothing is a good thing. But our word, our English word clothing, that's how we translate it from the Greek. New Testament was written in Koine Greek. Old Testament was written in Hebrew with a few places in Aramaic. And I want you to understand that the word clothing here is more than just the clothes you wear. In Hebrew, it is the word kanaf, K-A-N-A-P-H. And that word kanaf is a word for an outer garment that Jewish rabbis would wear, that male Jewish rabbis would wear over their clothing. And if you look in the book of Deuteronomy, it talks about how from the four corners of that outer garment hung four tassels. And those were called zit zit, T-Z-I-T, zit zit. So the kanaf was the outer garment with the, with the bottom, the four corners, and those tassels that are still worn by conservative or orthodox Jewish men today in Israel. I've been nine times, going back again this fall you'll still see Jewish men wearing those tassels that will hang out from underneath their jackets. So when this woman hears that Jesus is coming to her town, she is financially broke and she is physically broken. Can anybody relate to those feelings? She has been isolated for a dozen years. 12 years is a long time to do anything. For 12 years, this woman had been bleeding. We don't know what the issue was, a chronic nosebleed, hemophilia, a bleeding ulcer. We have no idea. We just know that this woman was physically weak because I'm not a doctor, but I do know that blood carries iron to your vital organs. It also oxygenates your body. And if you bleed, you're weak. For instance, 1991, speaking of back in the 1900s, when I was a senior in high school, they told us at Hillcrest High School that they were going to be uh, taking blood in a blood drive. I'd never done a blood drive before. And the teacher said, would anybody like to sign up for the blood drive? And everybody was like, yeah, I will, I will. I was like, well, and and I'm thinking, do I get to miss a class period? They said, yes, you do. I said, I'll sign up for five of them. Five blood drives. No, you can only do one. No, I got plenty of blood. No, you don't. So I go to the library the next day for the blood drive, and the nurse goes, Clayton, did you eat breakfast this morning? I'm like, no, I didn't eat breakfast. I don't need breakfast. I'm, I'm country. A country boy can survive. Y'all don't know nothing about Bocephus here in Missouri, do you? Because that's who I'm quoting. And she's like, no, you need to eat breakfast because a lot of times people that don't eat before they give blood, they pass out. I'm like, not me. I'm just built different. Such a punk. So much pride and arrogance. An hour later, I wake up on the couch in the library with her lab coat draped over me to keep me warm. Why? Because if you bleed, you're weak. 
For 12 years, this woman had not only experienced weakness, she'd experienced isolation. Because there were rules, you read the book of Leviticus, specifically to women who bled. And the rules were if you bleed, you're unclean. You have to go outside the camp. You can't be around people until you've been purified. 12 years, she had not known any intimacy with a husband because no husband would have married a woman like this. Why? Because she was unclean. Also, because she probably couldn't bear children. She had no children that we know of. And on top of all of that, it is conceivable she had not known any physical human touch for 12 years. We are created for intimacy. And people avoided her. They, they crossed the road so they wouldn't have to walk near her. On top of all of that, I'm trying to, I'm trying to set up the scenario here. This is a Jewish woman. She's in a Jewish village surrounded by Jewish people. And, and all of Jewish life centered around the synagogue or the temple. There were synagogues everywhere in Israel. One temple in Jerusalem. She could never go inside the temple because according to Leviticus, she was unclean. She could never go to the synagogue. She couldn't walk in because she was unclean. This is a woman who had been isolated from people and she probably felt isolated from God. Now I'm trying to set that up for you so that you understand when you read the Bible, it's not made up. It's about real people, no different than you, no different than me. Broken people, depressed people, angry people, murderers, rapists, abusers, victims of abuse. Every single person in the Bible except for Jesus needed the grace of God. Every single person except for Jesus needed to be forgiven for their sin. You can't find a single person in the Bible that we count as a hero of the faith that didn't have some kind of fatal flaw that was so bad Jesus had to die on the cross to save them from their sin. And so here's a woman who has brokenness, who has weakness, who has frustration, confusion. She hears Jesus is coming to my town. I can barely get out of bed. But if it kills me, I'm going to get to Jesus. Nobody's holding me back. He's my last chance. He's all I've got. I've literally got no other card to lay down. I got no other play in the playbook. I've shot my shot and it's empty now. It's him or I die. Think about what she had to push through to get to Jesus. And when she gets to Jesus, all she wanted to do was touch his clothing. Now, when I hear that, I think about, I've seen videos of the Beatles when they first came to America and how, you know, hordes of people, specifically girls, would just run at them and try to grab their clothing. Elvis Presley, I've seen videos when I was a little kid, Elvis was still alive, and I can vaguely remember seeing him perform on like the Tonight Show and how people went crazy. But I can remember Michael Jackson. I'm talking about thriller, y'all. Thriller. Thriller. I can remember how people went absolutely insane for Michael Jackson. That is not how people were treating Jesus. They weren't, they weren't going to Jesus to try to like get a, a selfie made with him or get an autograph. They wanted Jesus to perform a miracle. When he would go to these villages and show up, here's what they wanted because they'd heard stories. Jesus can cast out demons. I've got a friend that I think might be demon possessed. Hey, come with me. Jesus is coming. Let's see what he can do. We've heard that Jesus can like heal sick people. 
Oh, I've got a family member that can't see or that can't hear or that can't walk. Hey, come on, Jesus is coming to our village. Come on, let's go see if Jesus can do any good for us. They knew that Jesus could multiply food. They had heard about what Jesus did with a little kid's Jewish Lunchable. <laughs> Took some crackers and, and maybe some hummus. <laughs> And fed 20,000 people with it. So, hey, y'all are hungry. Come on, Jesus is coming. And this woman knows that there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands of people trying to get to him. She didn't care. She's desperate. When you're desperate, you'll do whatever it takes. The problem with some of us, myself included, is we've gotten too familiar with Jesus. We're not desperate for him anymore. Some of you have never been desperate for Jesus. And sometimes the hard things that happen to you in life, Jesus didn't do those things to you on purpose, but he's so good and he loves you so much, he'll take a hard, painful experience that you've gone through and he'll leverage that to get your attention. C.S. Lewis said, pain is God's megaphone to a world gone deaf. He whispers to us in pleasure, but he shouts at us in our pain. So maybe kind of like a broken leg, it's not a good thing, but the pain of a broken leg tells you, you better go get that fixed or you're going to die. A toothache can kill you from a brain infection if the pain doesn't warn you to go to the dentist and have that teeth, that tooth pulled or fixed. This woman had gone through amazing, unbelievable, remarkable pain, isolation, frustration. But when she hears that Jesus is coming, she's like, all I got to do is get to him and grab the corner of his Kanaf. That's all I need to do. That's very curious. And as I was working on the book, I, I, I just could not figure out what is going on here. Why is she so obsessed with just touching his clothes? Like if it was me, because I told y'all, like I, I grew up Pentecostal. I, I want somebody laying hands on me. If that's me, I'm like, hey, Jesus, it's me, your boy. Come put your hands on me, Jesus. I mean, I'm so Pentecostal. I would have been calling for some olive oil. I'd have been like, we're in Israel. Somebody, you got, if you don't have any olive oil, go pick some off a tree, squeeze it on my head. Like, come on. I, I would want Jesus to like take some time and rebuke the sickness. But this woman, she just wanted to reach up and grab him. And I'm wondering today, what is it in your life that you need to fight through to get to Jesus? What do you need to bring to him? Depressed? I've been there. Anxious? Yep, been there. Went to counseling for it. Angry? Are you mad? Do you stay mad all the time? I can relate. Whatever it is that you've got, were you abused? Do you carry around the bitterness and the hurt and the pain, the woundedness? My wife was abused. I understand. Did somebody hurt you, betray you, break your heart, break your trust, break their word? I don't know what it is in your life that you think about when you lay your head on your pillow at night or that wakes you up at 2 a.m. All I know is Jesus is enough to fix it. Jesus is enough to help you. So the woman, let's go back to verse 29. After she reaches up and touches his clothes, instantly her flow of blood is, is ceased and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Verse 30, at once Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? This is the third time the word clothes is used, kanaf. His disciples said to him, Lord, you see the crowd pressing against you and yet you ask who touched me? Let me pause right there for a minute. The disciples encouraged me so much. <laughs> because 
if Jesus can use these doofuses to change the world, there's hope for me. Can anybody see what I'm talking about here? Doesn't that give you hope? Like Jesus doesn't pick smart people or perfect people because there's none of us. The disciples are like, don't you know, everybody's touching you. There's 300 people here. And Jesus is like, oh, ye of little faith. How long will I have to put up with you guys? Bless them, Jesus. Oh, wait a minute, I'm Jesus. Bless them, me, I bless you. (laughs) But Jesus, verse uh, 32, he was looking around to see who had done this. The woman with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, She came and fell down. She humbled herself. She fell down before Jesus and she told him the whole truth. Now watch verse 34. I want you to see a version of your future. I want you to hear Jesus saying this to you. I want you to imagine that you feel the kind of love and mercy and grace that she felt when Jesus said to her daughter, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. He uses some words here. Saved. She came sick. She left saved. Her sins had not yet been forgiven. And Jesus saved her. Why? Because she had faith in him. Then he tells her, Go in peace. She came to Jesus bringing her frustration and her brokenness. And she leaves with peace. Man, don't you need some peace right now? You do realize that we're living in a world where businesses and corporations have figured out algorithms to make us all hate each other and to keep us all angry and mad and divided. Don't you realize that we're living in a world where even people that live outside of our country are watching us and trying to make us hate each other and trying to break apart what has made us so special. Couldn't you use some peace? Jesus spoke peace over her. And then he uses the word healed. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. She was physically healed. Do I still believe that God heals people? You better bet your Bible I do. I've seen it happen. I saw God raise a baby from the dead in the Himalayas in 1998. I believe anything this Bible says. If Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, I believe I will be raised from the dead one day and so will you. And if Jesus Christ can heal people, I believe he can still heal people today. Why? Because he never changes. He's the same today, yesterday, forever. Then I want to show you one more word he uses here. Daughter. We don't know her name, but we know her identity. How long had it been since this woman had heard anyone speak a kind word to her? How long has it been for you since you heard anyone speak kindly to you? I want you to know that Jesus cares about you enough to be kind to you. He's already been kind to you. He was crucified on a cross for sins he never committed. You know, people always want to ask me, how could bad things happen to good people, Clayton? How can you believe in a God that lets bad things happen to good people? My response is, that only happened one time, and he volunteered for it. His name was Jesus, and he went to the cross willingly for you and me so we wouldn't have to pay for our own sins. He calls her daughter because he loved her. And I don't want you to skip over this. 
want to pause right here for effect. Some of you need to hear Jesus speak to your heart right now and tell you that he loves you. He doesn't hate you. He didn't come to condemn you. He knows every sin that I've ever committed and he loves me anyway. He knows everything that you struggle with, the secrets you keep, the insecurity you live with, the weight you carry, the worry that follows you around. And he just wants you to fight through the crowd to get to him just so you can reach up and grab hold. So I'm sitting on the couch. The book was due. I had to turn it into my publisher. It was supposed to be turned in in 2016 and I had a three-year delay because of some things that happened at my church and I ended up stepping in to help lead our church after our founding pastor uh, disqualified himself. And we had, it was just a, it was a really difficult three years, but God was really faithful and he was really good. So three years later, I'm trying to finish the book and I'm reading I've got my laptop open to an online commentary and I have um, some books in front of me written by really smart men and women that know more about the Bible than me. And I just felt like, okay, this woman from Mark chapter five that inspired me to write this book, I still, I'm missing something about her story. The rest of the book was done. The other 11 people I'm writing about in the gospels, done. I had to figure this out. So I'm sitting on the couch in my house, okay? Now in my house, there are many Beautiful things, beginning with my wife. She is creative and, and she is artistic and she designed our house. And because of that, my house is filled with pillows. <laughs> beautiful, cute, decorative pillows that pop. I didn't know that pillows could pop until I married a female. And uh, I, they pop. Of, uh, of the 1,286 pillows in our house, I'm allowed to put my head on one of them. The rest of them just sit there looking cute and they pop. And um, I'm sitting on the couch and I've, I'm praying, God help me understand what I'm missing about this woman. And I've got my left arm up on a pillow, my right arm up on a pillow. And I'm reading this commentary where the scholar connects what this woman did with Jesus when she grabbed the kanaf, the corner of his garment where the tassels, the zitzits hung, and he connected it to Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. This woman was Jewish. This woman had prayed every day for 12 years. Matter of fact, let me read this to you from the book. Imagine the effect of the condition on this woman's faith. If this woman had prayed one time a day, every day for God to heal her, that's 4,380 prayers unanswered over 12 years. Now, let's assume she was a good Jewish woman and let's assume that she prayed for God to heal her five times a day for 12 years. That's 21,900 seemingly unanswered prayers. How do you think this woman felt about herself with radio silence from God? Or how do you think that God felt about her? How did she think God felt about her when he didn't answer her prayers? 21,900 of them for 12 years. Yet this frail woman drug her anemic body out of the house to fight her way to Jesus because she was desperate and she knew that Jesus could help her. So I'm sitting on the couch and I'm typing these words on my laptop. 
And I'm reading Malachi 4.2. And it says this, but, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Every Jew was waiting for the Messiah to come. They also called him the son of righteousness. This woman was waiting for a Messiah, a savior. To rise, to show up. And when he came, what would he bring with him? According to Malachi 4.2, healing, the very thing this woman was looking for. And where would the healing be? In his wings. Now hold up. Is he a bird? Is he an eagle? Is he American? <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> what is this all about? So when I think about the word wings, I think about airplanes, birds, or what I eat when I'm watching football. That's what I think about. But think about the word wings in reference to the White House, the West Wing, the wing, the side, the side of a building. When the Jewish rabbis wore the outer garments, the sides of their garments were called wings or kanaf. In Hebrew, when it says, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in the kanaf, the zits, the four tassels that hung from the four corners of his garment. This woman had memorized Malachi 4.2, had prayed it 21,900 times. That's what motivated her to not quit, to not give up, to get to Jesus no matter what. And I'm sitting on my couch reading about the tassels that hung from the corners. That's the wings. That's what she was grabbing for. And I looked down and I kid you not, there were tassels hanging from the corners of my wife's $1,200 pottery barn pillow (laughs) that popped. And I thought, Jesus, you are so good to me. Look around the room to make sure my wife's not in there. Make sure she's not watching or recording this. I grabbed that tassel and I gave it a good old-fashioned hardcore pull right off the corner of that pillow. I broke it. I stuck it in my pocket. So I'm going to use this later because I'm a preacher and I'm always looking for visual aids to help make a point. That's what preachers do. And I just wanted to show y'all what that tassel looks like. That's it. Not a facsimile. This is it. Not a, not a, a genetically modified organism. No, this is it. The tassel. There is no power in this tassel. It's a wool cotton blend. She reached up and grabbed hold of something just like this. And it caught Jesus' attention. There was no power in the tassel. There was power in the faith that she exercised when she got to Jesus. That's why you're here today. You're here to meet Jesus, to get close to Jesus, to come to Jesus. And so I'm going to Don't check out and nobody get up and move yet either because this is what we call an invitation, a response time. There are three ways that you can respond to what you've heard today. Number one, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, you can come to the altar in just a moment. This is a stage, but it becomes an altar when you bring your burden to it. And you can come and pray. You can come with your spouse, with your kids, with a friend, by yourself, and you can pray for whatever burden you're carrying. Come and give it to Jesus.
Also, there are some communion stations set up around the room. And if you want to take communion today as a way to connect to the body and the blood of Jesus, those communion stations are available for you if you're a Christian. But the most important part of this invitation is for those of you that do not know whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus. You don't know if you're a Christian or not. Think you are, hope you are, might be, banking on it, but you're not really certain. Why on earth would you get this close to Jesus and leave without nailing it down? If you ask me, Clayton, are you married? I see you have a wedding band. Are you married? I hope so. No, 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 I don't hope so. I know so. How much more important is it that your eternal soul has been saved by the grace of God, purified by the blood of Jesus, that you know you can go through life and not fear death because you will die one day, but you know that not only will you go to heaven when you die, but you have eternal and abundant life right here, right now, if you're saved. And I want some of you to nail it down right now, and I don't have to talk you into it because while I've been preaching, the Spirit of God has been drawing you, and you know it because you're feeling it right now. So I'm going to invite you to close your eyes, everybody and open your hearts. Nobody move yet. Not even the folks coming to the front. Just wait. Just wait. Nobody move yet. Eyes closed, hearts open. Eyes closed, hearts open to Jesus. If you've never given your life to Christ, I want to invite you to give it to him right now. And here's how you do it. Just pray. Romans 10, 13 says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And if you will ask him, he will save you. You don't have to perform or be perfect. Just ask and Jesus will come into your heart and take up residence and you can begin a relationship with him. So that's what I'm gonna give you a chance to do right now. You're not praying this prayer to me, you're praying it to Jesus. Pray this to him right now. If you wanna be saved for real, you really mean it. Jesus, I need you. Pray it to him, he's listening. Jesus, I need you. Please save me. Please rescue me. Please forgive me of my sin. I give you my life. I give you my future. I give you my soul. I love you, Jesus. And I'm all yours. Now with your eyes closed and your hearts open, nobody looking, don't look around. Jesus sees you, that's all that matters. But I'm gonna ask you to do something. I'm not gonna point you out or embarrass you, but I'm gonna ask you, if you just prayed that prayer to receive Christ, in the first service, 57 people raised their hands to say that they prayed to receive Christ. So don't think you'll be the only one if you raise your hand. I wanna know if you just prayed to receive Christ and you meant it for real. I want you to raise your hand and just keep it up for a second right here, right now, on the spot, immediately. Can you keep it up? I want to count hands. I'm not going to point you out. Our eyes are closed. Nobody's looking. I'm looking. God sees. But I just want to count hands because I want to stir some faith in this room. Raise them up high for just a second. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, keep them up, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47. Wow, you put your hands down. Everybody open your eyes and look up for a moment. 47 people. 
just responded to the gospel. And here's what I'm going to ask you to do. 47 of you just crossed over from death to life. That's the greatest miracle in the history of the human race. So I'm going to invite everybody, all of us together. Can we go ahead and stand up on our feet? The band is going to lead us in a time of prayer and reflection before Pastor Christian comes. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As soon as the band begins to sing, the altar is going to be open. And for anyone that needs to come and pray, we're going to have some folks coming right now to the altar to pray with you. Some of our friends here at the church are going to be here to pray with you, to encourage you, to help you take your next step. If you are one of the 47 people that just prayed to receive Christ, as soon as I say amen to this prayer, I want you to come right to the altar. You will not be embarrassed. We're the family of God. We are celebrating your salvation. We are pumped about your faith in Jesus. We're so excited. We want to celebrate it over and over again. So... As soon as I say amen, I want you to move. If you pray to receive Christ, come and let someone know. They'll be here at the front. And if you want to take communion, the communion stations will be available for you here in the room. God, thank you for the blessing of salvation that comes only through Jesus Christ. And thank you for the 47 that just crossed over from death to life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.